the hard yards, passionate about sport. It's gone to the short side. Oh, it's you're very welcome to the hard yards i'm andy mcgeady we have another great show lined up for you today i'm joined in studio by former leinster and ireland back row kevin mclaughlin and sports joe reporter pat mccarry gents hello Good morning. Hey, how are you? We're also joined on the line by Munster forwards coach Jerry Flannery. Fla, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Andy. And later on, we'll be talking with Alan Dimmock from Rugby World magazine about an investigation into player migration in rugby. Um, that's a good one. I'll recommend you stay around for that. Uh, but first, gents, um, Kev, you're looking well. Thank you very much. Been a little while. Yeah, it has been. Yeah. Been, uh, busy with work. Yeah. Uh, Bosses have me travelling around Europe, so I haven't been able to drop in the last few weeks, but delighted to be back. It's okay, earn your coin. <laughs> um, Pat, you're, you're busy this week. Yeah, <laughs> away from away from work, the, the, the hobby. Where I had my opening night as a, in our Christmas show last night as, as Santa Claus. <laughs> So you better work on a beard. <laughs> yeah, I know. I look like a piece of. I look like a hobo at the moment. Can, so. we, can we have a ho ho ho? Wait, I have to kind of have to get a bit of a laugh going on first. Like, <laughs> it's actually not terrible. Yes, it's fucking terrifying. That's what it is. I'll be charged people for that. Excellent. Just so, me doing that for two hours. Sold out show. Good <laughs> man, uh, Jerry. I'm going to assume you're looking well too. Uh. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> the, um, so this, Jerry, this is your third time in the Hard Yards, but it's not actually really your third time in the Hard Yards because there was another show called the Hard Yards um, that yourself and Mal Kelly used to do. Uh, and in the very first episode, you left the studio, apparently, jumped over a wall and attacked a man blowing leaves in the car park. Is this true? No, 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 that's an add-on. Um, there was a guy with a leaf blower I didn't attack him I just went out and asked him to stop doing it um, but I thought we were the original hard yards when we started but uh, you seem to have pretended that you've start, you started your own show now we've got the same name I think it's like the Michael Keaton Batman and you guys were the, the George Clooney Batman I think <laughs> yeah yeah cheers thanks for that one Clooney's a good looking man now which was a Clooney Clooney's the one that it's uh, contractually he's never allowed to talk about again um, that was the one with Schwarzenegger okay. Mr Freeze or something like that I'll have to watch back Christmas will give me this time to catch up on my Batman knowledge <laughs> the, uh, so listen Kev and uh, Jerry you've been looking at um, times that these lads played mm. against each other or with each other what did you find? Yeah, it was, um, I was seeing the, the, the last uh, Leinster Munster game that Jerry played was uh, it was a game where you got man of the match, Kev, and you said it was the best rugby performance you've ever been involved in. It's a 30 nil win, and you got man of the match as well. Do you yeah, remember in the RDS? It was just towards the start of my career. I think it was like my, probably probably only about my seventh or eighth start for Leinster, and obviously Jerry was very very senior person at that at that point in the Munster squad. Um, obviously, I remember that game. Get man of the match and stuff was special. But um, yeah, like me and Jerry, I think maybe only played together once or twice. Twice, yeah, for yeah. Ireland. Um, I remember, like, <laughs> like uh, the Jerry, like, because at the time I was, 
like, there was a couple of articles came out saying I was in a choir and different college stuff and like most lads were just kind of actively taking the piss out of me but Fla like <laughs> on the coach you might remember Fla you'd be kind of quizzing me about it and like really I c- was really as you were talking trying to figure out whether you were taking the piss or being serious and I just couldn't decide what, what it was but it seemed genuine at the time and like asking me to sing a song and different things like that but um the, what I really appreciated Fla was he was the one person I knew in the Irish squad who could get under Reds or skin whenever he wanted so on Redden yeah. uh, like Reds or is a with like when it comes to banter he's good at getting other, under other people's skin and there were very few people who could get under his but Flav was an absolute specialist in it so <laughs> I always really appreciated that skill of his yeah, yeah I'm glad I brought something to the squad when I was in there <laughs> <laughs> and yeah you were actually the then the game that you, it was your debut that you played it was against Italy and, and Jerry was uh, starting hooker in that game it was, it was the game in Crow Park that was, yeah. your, that was your first time you guys played together yeah, it was, um, and it wasn't. I don't think a particularly exciting game, but uh, I think Leo was playing that game as well. Um, that usually helps make it a bit messy, yeah. Yeah, it in, was, a good, yeah in a good way. Yeah, yeah, Italy, Leo playing is always going to be a bit messy, but yeah. no, it was, we got to win anyway. I suppose that was the important thing. Yeah. So, Flair, and those um, and those times in the bus, what what was the truth? Were you just trying to wind up the new lad, or were you, were you really interested in his singing? Um. No, I was I was just I suppose you're trying to get a get a feel for guys when they come into the squad and Kev was probably quiet enough when he came in, so you're trying to tease it out of him and get him to come out of his shell a bit. Um I thought he was a good line out he was a good line out option, so I liked him straight away because it made my job a bit easier and uh I was just trying to you know, you want to try and get a bit of a connection with a guy so he give you feedback. The the, the more you chat to a guy and whether you do it from slagging him a bit like to try and break down a few barriers because I think that's like what Kev was alluding to with, with Reds like Reds had played with with, with Munster with, with Connacht and with, and with Leinster so he was kind of he kind of was a good guy that kind of brought people together and everyone would be kind of trying to get at Reds then and it kind of gave us all a kind of a, a unified focus and just trying to slag off own but <laughs> those, those small things kind of yeah well like they they, 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 they kind of give you something to, to to chat over and stuff like that and give you a, a common ground and then it helps develop your relationship then, so that when you're when you're on the field, people aren't afraid to, to you know, to tell you what they want, and and you know, you can't afford to be, I kind of, you know, hurt this guy's feelings or anything like that. So, yeah, I remember, I remember, I remember Kev's first game. I remember his second game even better because that was over in France. We were in Paris, and uh, it was it was a week off after it, though. We generally hit the first caps then, which we did back in that. Back, back then I don't know was that 2010 or when, when was it but uh, I think it was I think one of the, the French hooker I think it was William Servat came over with a bottle of Perno and just started we started pouring loads of Perno into Kev and uh, it didn't end well for him yeah funny I've, yeah certainly I, I, did not I was never lucky enough or talented enough to play rugby at any level but I was the victim of a Perno incident on a rugby oh, trip to lose once I sympathise with your plight I've never been an abusive drunk until that night <laughs> <laughs> and it's nice to pick your time to be an abusive drunk when all the, the kind of top RFU officials are around it's, Good, it's that, that, really really ideal for your career <laughs> good <actually>. moment <laughs> <laughs> nah, I mean I got, I got away I had to make a couple of apologies the next day but like I had genuinely no control over what I was doing I had to drink what I was given and yeah. like Flash said, all 
was going okay was red wine and beer until William Servac came over. <laughs> and then it was all downhill from them. Downhill so, downhill with a brick and the accelerator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and nowhere to go except down. Yeah. So. so I'm interested to... So you arrive in the squad, um, Flaz going deadly. I've got another line-out man. Um, but then you added something else during your career, which was the ability to play multiple positions. Mm. So you could play six, you could play lock. Mm. Um, did you like playing lock or were you covering lock? I was I was always covering lock. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the... <laughs> do you know what was really interesting? I think it's the same for anyone who could play in different positions is I was always very comfortable in six, but when I moved into second row, there were always a couple of things that I used to just find extremely hard. Like what? Like going from a scrum into being able to get around the corner. So like the way the majority of teams would work is their second rows have to scrum. And scrums last a lot longer now than they used to. They're probably about 20 seconds now on average. They were maybe about 10 seconds back then. But you get through the scrum, you're pumping as hard as you can with your legs. Um, Flan knows a lot more about this than I do. But like your legs would genuinely be heavy and on fire by the time the scrum's over. Then the next action has to be that you've got to bust your gut to get around the corner so get around the other side of the rook and I used to just find that incredibly hard because from a back rower standpoint you're still working hard in the scrum but it's nowhere near the same um, and it's just completely different so like the focus then for a back rower is just running smart angles and mm. making sure you're at the rooks at the right time and like being in support but with the second row you got to just keep trucking and that's what they want they want to see the engine room you just keep going at a good solid pace for the whole game and I used to find the transition incredibly hard. Like, you, you'd think, oh, a back row going to the second row will find it easy. It's not the case at all. So when you look at someone like uh, the way that England use um, their two lads, Maro Otoji, mm, yeah. and um, help me out. Wh- who am I missing here? My brain's Courtney gone dead. Laws. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Courtney Laws. So switching during a game, is that even harder? Because you've, you've, you've got yourself up to either I am, I'm doing the little the sprints mm. and now I have to go into almost a single gear yeah, thing. I've done it during a game a couple of times. Yeah, um, I remember doing it during a game against Monster actually in the Viva, probably about three or four years ago, and I went into tight head lock for because there was a yellow card or something happened, hmm. and our scrum got absolutely milled the minute I went to tight head lock. I hadn't done any practice there, and tight head lock is like I don't know, maybe fourth most important, definitely fourth most important person in the scrum, and. <laughs> it's a different mindset like it really is in back row you're like I want to give everything I can to the scrum but actually the most important thing is that I I form part of the defensive line as the ball gets passed out here Yeah. whereas in second row you're just giving everything you can to the scrum after the scrum's finished now you're thinking about okay what's next I've got to get going got to get motoring it's a different mindset it's very hard to make the switch Yeah. It's, guys it's like Mario Toge, Mario Toge like it's he's just an incredible athlete yeah. and he seems to have be able to play the same way regardless of where he is and that's the way England like to use him um, but even like Scott Fardy now he's got a consistent run at second row for Lancer he's doing a great job there I think having consistency in the same position I think having a level of versatility is actually can be a real curse like okay. so the, the current context <laughs> is um, uh, we've got uh, Jordan, Jordan Murphy yeah. moving to Ulster is a man who can play across the back row really useful to have um, Jerry from a coaching point of view uh, when you see players who can play in multiple positions be it forwards or somewhere else around the park is that a challenge for you guys um, or is that a, something that you, you can place real value on um, I suppose it depends on uh, at the stage of the player's career where he's at in terms of like, versatility is obviously going to make the coach's job easier because it just gives you more options during a game 
and gives you more options around selection around what, what makes you go well on your bench but I suppose from a player's point of view I think if you if you're constantly topping and changing say in your formative years say between 18 and, and, and 24 you're never really specialising in one position and then someone else who's going to play say for instance someone who specialises as a six is going to be a better six than you if you're playing six lock eight a little bit of seven and um I think that, that that's from a player's point of view whilst it might get you into the squad it could ultimately hinder you as well long term so you've got to learn to specialise and and I suppose just spend some time in one position so you you learn the intricacies there and all the subtle lines that you've got to run and like Kev was talking there about you know if you're gonna if you're gonna play six, then someone throws you in tight end lock. You know it's very very different. The phys- the, the conditioning challenges for for, for that are, are you know they're night and day, and you know you, you gotta you gotta be able to have the mind shift that you can adapt to that and understand that your game is gonna have to change around the field a little bit if you go from six into tight end lock because you're gonna be there trying to maintain the spine of the scrum and and scrummage on your hooker with your left shoulder, scrummage on your tight end with your right shoulder, and hold shape all the way through. And if you lose your shape that scrum is gone then you get up out there and like that you've got to get on the fold and around the corner into the defensive line it, it is it is a lot more difficult but um, I think the, the, the key thing is players when they have versatility it, it's, it, it gives them a better better uh, opportunity to be in a squad and get selected but they just got to make sure that they're, they're specialised somewhere first so and that, that that's an interesting point because we're talking about Laws and Otoje. They've been actually doing something different again, which is switching during the match. Yeah. You know, which which is a really interesting tactical thing for a coach to to do, especially at the highest level. Um, but Kev, I mean, you it's fair to correct me if I'm wrong here, but you probably had more appearances and more caps by virtue of you being able to play two positions. Alan Quinlan used to be able to cover the mm. same. Uh, is that fair? Um, I think later in my career it helped yeah. uh, particularly when there were so many back rowers coming through is that I could cover second row got me maybe into a couple of squads but mm. I specialised as a six for pretty much my whole career mm. um, when I was younger I played some different positions which helped me learn some new skills played a, bit play? num- played a bit of number eight with UCD yeah. when, I was, when I was playing under 20s and for the senior, senior team there and why didn't that stick? Uh, I think because I came into Leinster and Jamie was number eight, <laughs> <laughs> and then there was yeah. a chance at number six, and then and I like uh, it's a little bit like that. And I think the way I played probably suited. I maybe wasn't dynamic enough to be number eight mm. in terms of my carrying. Like so, that was fine. And but like just interesting what Flav was saying there. Even like switching between six and seven some people would say oh it's just flanker it's not like so it's so specialist the lines you run your exact role in the game is completely different as a six versus a seven and someone like Reese Ruddock at the moment is doing an amazing job uh, wherever he plays mm-hmm. but he's covering three positions essentially it's a challenge for him like where should he be focused because he goes into a game as a seven his responsibilities are completely different than if he goes into a game as a six okay, okay. spell it out real simple because I'm an idiot and I don't yeah. know what you mean by that so what, what what's the, the fundamental differences in how Reese Ruddock or let's say a Jordy Murphy arriving in Ulster would prepare for his job on the field as six versus seven so like in a Joe Schmidt team or I'm assuming it's the same with pretty much every team the sevens role for every single play so you might have I don't know eight scrum plays and six line out plays going into the game the sevens role will be completely different for every single one of those four or six so the first three phases will be different um, 
also as a seven you're expected to be sort of the first player to rook from set pieces with a six on defensive plays you're expected to hold width so off a scrum you stay wide whereas the seven is supposed to kind of follow play more um, there's low I, I like Jerry saying it's subtle like lines that you're running um, it's as a six you're expected to maybe carry in tight areas more um, it's it, it, a lot of it's subtle differences but the role is different hmm. uh, and it's becoming more and more specialised actually you would have actually seen that yeah with like someone like Peter O'Mahony <coughs> and the last game to play against Argentina it's just he's he's just covering an awful lot of work isn't he and yeah he's defending in the white channels and the first guy to the defensive rooks as well and it's just yeah it's specific whereas you know you're, you're open side then is having to do an awful lot more work aren't they Like, and, and kind of just yeah. show up more for carries as well and make the bigger carries too the, uh, Jerry it, from your perspective then um, having someone like uh, Quinlan or, or whoever it might be able to cover those positions uh, I suppose actually I'm trying to make a really bad segue and I'm going to actually just stop <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Alan Quinlan Andy, Andy, Andy before you jump in just yeah. something I was, uh, that I was thinking as Kev was talking when you asked about him playing eight earlier in his career I, I know I said it's important that you've got to specialise and then the versatility is ultimately going to be an asset to you but I think that I'm looking at some of the players that have come through Munster now and that are currently here and I'm seeing how, how, how they're how they've developed over their careers and um, I'm looking at the New Zealand model I'm looking at guys like uh, like Herbrand Grobler the second row we have in here and Reese Marshall who've, who obviously come in not through an Irish system but they're here now and they're adding value with Munster and Herbrand used to play he, he's, he's a lock that we signed from Racing last year and he's been injured now since he's come at the start of the year but he played a few games for us at the start in pre-season and you know he's a fantastic player like really really good footballer but when I spoke to Herbrand he said listen I, he, he would have played 10 at the start you know when he was a kid he would have played out half and played across the back line uh, so he would have had that skill set and then as he physically because rugby's a late specialisation game you know as you physically mature you're physically mature into where's the best position for me going to be and Herbrand turned into a 6 foot 6 120 kilo lock who now has the hands of an out half and then like we would have had someone like Reese Marshall who's who's our hooker and Reese would have played in the back line and would have played flanker as well like I spoke to Reese, he said listen when he was growing up in, in New Zealand a lot of it was like whoever was closest to a line out would throw the ball in whoever was in the out half position would play out half whoever was closest to the scrum would win and play would, would scrum because I think just for, for when I look at my own from my own career is that when I grew up I, you know I started off I was a prop then I went in hooking then I played a bit of back row then I went back in hooking and I was lucky that you know I'm not I'm not a particularly big uh, particularly big guy so I was able to I, I just did a lot of ways to try and get myself to a level where I could play at, at test rugby but I, I, I may have been better off if I you know maybe I might have had a longer career if I'd played in, a, you know, for my for my frame, if I'd played in a, as a nine or something like that. But mm. because I was always stuck in the forwards, I never developed that skill set. Whereas I could have played across many positions and then specialised then, as, as you'd seen, well, where does this guy's physical makeup fit the best? And he should have a, a pretty good skill set. And then around 17, 18, you start to understand, then you, you start to physically mature into, you know, into a man and then you can see what position might fit your skill set as long as you've got a rounded skill set fit that best then you specialise then between as a hooker between 18 to maybe 24 and, and that's your position or, or as a back row you might specialise as a 7 but then you have the ability then to be versatile and play a bit of 6 as well but I think that I, 
I think that's that's a that's a major asset to young players coming through when they've played a lot of positions and then they pick a position then when they're 17, 18, you know, they, they have a much round, much more rounded skill set. That's hard to do if you're trying to get into a senior cup team when there's only a couple of matches a year. You know, I mean, maybe your system isn't perfect when it comes to the, giving players that time at a young age, Kev. Yeah, potentially, but... Yeah. No, I, I think Jerry's exactly right there. It's... I think <laughs> playing across different positions when you're younger helps build up your skill set and then you need to specialise but just not specialise too early and uh, I think there's lots of great examples of that Jerry's just given a couple there and um, I played a bit of centre at under 12s yes. unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately, my hands weren't necessarily reflecting that when I, when I uh, played at senior level but yeah now it is it's something that's that's pretty important Right, quick change of pace. Uh, we are going into the back-to-backs in the Champions Cup. Uh, we This is always a good time of year. There's something a little bit different about it, definitely from the outside. So, gents, is there something different about it as a player when you're preparing to face the same opponent over consecutive weeks? Yeah, I think there is. Um, I think what's really interesting for for this is that it's December and it's already sort of a defining moment of the season <laughs> yeah. uh, it's incredibly hard actually and part of the issue at this time of the year is okay so you, say for Leinster playing the best team in England twice two weekends in a row hmm. they're eight points clear at the top like they're flying they're flying they beat Saris away I yeah. think a couple yeah. of weeks ago yeah. they just look really confident and um the thing about this time of year coming into these games is it's it's coming up to Christmas there's so many distractions there's so much going on it's a real challenge to stay incredibly focused and I think what we used to talk about in Leinster is kind of closing the ranks and like doesn't matter anything that's going externally let's forget about it forget about everything else this is the only important thing and is that different though than is it different having the same opponent two weeks in a row though as opposed to just a big game because what you're describing could also be the case for just a big game at a busy time of the year yeah it is I think it's different I think uh, the fact is particularly when you've got two teams so the two best teams in the group essentially in, in that the two teams that are top Exeter mm-hmm. and Leinster basically deciding who's going to finish top of the group now I mean, if Exeter win both the games, then they're in serious trouble, you know what I mean? So there's that added kind of incentive. And then, like, Leinster going over there and knowing they need minimal point, Exeter trying to make sure that they don't give them the point and then go and have to go back to, to the Aviva the following week. So that is definitely an added added punch to the games because of that. It's a bit of a weird vibe to be honest you're shaking hands with the guys after the game going I'm going to see you again next week you yeah. bastard <laughs> like it's, it's only half time you know? yeah it is yeah. It's, but I think it's cool it's a great part of the competition it's probably the best two weeks in terms of the group stages yeah Fla, from your perspective um, what did, you, did you like these as a player um, yeah I, I did I did I think I, uh, initially when I first played in, in back-to-back fixtures I probably I struggled a little bit with you know uh, I remember I think we played Dragons in the European Cup this is this is a long time ago this is over 10 years ago we played Dragons in in, uh, in the European Cup back to back and after the first game we won and we won pretty comfortably and then I was really nervous then that oh I'm not taking this game seriously enough and I was going to see the sports so I can sit with him and he said listen if you made the effort to come in and sit here with me and talk to me about the game that you're you're worried that you're not taking it seriously enough for um, you know you can very easily you know games are won on such fine margins at times like you, there's a scoreline might flatter you but it might be a one defining moment that might that might swing the game for you but you could sit back and go we won that game by 15 by 15 16 points so that was comfortable enough but it could so easily have gone another way 
that you've got to you've got to really go and get a mind shift where you, you start at, at you know you start you go back to zero again when you're starting the prepping for the following week. Um, Coming come into this Leicester game now, I suppose for, with, with a coach's hat on, the one thing is that we've been you know we had a break say after we played Dragons and then we came in then and, and we had quite a long prep going into Zebra and then into Ospreys and then it just felt like we had to do a huge amount of analysis get an awful lot of work done and get messages across because we were integrating the Irish sides back into the team for the Leicester game and now the fact that we, I would normally be preparing for the for the following week's game now at this stage uh, the fact that we're playing Leicester again you know it's kind of more like your review your review of this week's game becomes a preview so it actually it eases the workload a little bit as a coach but you've probably got to be a lot more um, you've got to go through it with a you know you've got to try and find those any any little things that you can find because you're actually playing in the following week so any plays that you show that you know that they'll be prepared for them and you've got to think of it's a little bit of a cat and mouse game and like well, how can we stay one step ahead here if we did we have an advantage in this area will we have the same advantage how easy will it be for them to, to, to adjust how much training time will they have to dedicate towards uh, nullifying a threat that that was that, that, that worked you know that that they exposed them at the weekend. It's it's a lot of talk goes into it in the in the games, but or in in the in week after the game. But at the moment, we're just hoping to go out and just get a good performance against Leicester at home. Yeah, like I just something you said there. One of the challenges is particularly after you win the first game is not having any level of complacency because generally after you win a game, you're playing someone different the next week. So obviously there's no complacency because yeah. it's a new team, a new challenge. But do you mean like there's, do you mean that there's a natural reset to start the process again? Yeah, and that's hard because yeah. you're playing the same team, and like Flash said, you're doing pretty much the same analysis, and you're probably going to target them in the same areas. Whereas mm-hmm. normally you win a game, that's done. It's a new team. You're moving on to this time. You're the same guys, same players. And like I remember, we beat Northampton yeah. by forty odd points away from home, um, and. I remember in the camp that week we weren't I'm not saying we were complacent but it was very hard to get revved up properly again and there was this underlying kind of oh we beat them by 40 away from home you know and no matter how hard you try and how much talk like that does that's a massive challenge for a team and for that kind of maturity and the leadership within your squad to be able to go again and and completely reset as in mentally reset as well because we lost to Northampton that weekend then at home in the Aviva and I tell you what at home in the Aviva isn't what it sounds like because I remember that day and even the crowd was complacent the crowd was <laughs> yeah. it, it was a Christmas crowd that's one thing yeah. but it was like the game was going badly you yeah. could see you could feel that this didn't was not feel going good. well it didn't feel good playing good. it <laughs> and I remember looking around yeah. me going guys you actually don't realise you're still thinking about last week and this well, is no. a complete year from and that's where the close rank things come in it's yeah. like forget so about what everyone else is saying forget about the, the yeah. Christmas points going on like the only thing that matters is that we completely wipe the slate clean and go again so actually the team that loses the first game has a major advantage because they have to reset yeah but like as soon as you see that as an advantage for your team I think that's kind of loser talk to a certain extent you should be like I think the team that wins should be like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that's done we need to go again and that's the mentality you have to have and that's what the best teams do that's what the All Blacks do for instance they go again it'd be a matter of like just if you're on top try and make sure the team doesn't even get a point you know like just kind of drive it home mm. yeah absolutely just being ruthless and <laughs> right well we'll see how this weekend goes case in, case in point sorry Andy case yeah. in point and that one is our is our fixtures against Leicester last year I think we put 38 points on them in Tom Park and then the following week we went over to Welford Road and we lost mm. 
and uh, you know that's, that's a really good example of, of, of what Kev is talking about there um, so I suppose you can only take it it's a cliche but you can only take it a game at a time but we, we, after this one then we got to reset and go back to zero which we, we didn't do last year I suppose and, and Leicester caught us so See, we'll leave it in the coach's capable hands, if you reckon. <laughs> uh, listen, we'll be back later on to answer your Twitter questions. But up next, we talk player migration and rugby with Alan Dimmock from Rugby World magazine. The Hard Yards, passionate about sport. You know, you've got to be greedy when you're playing because it'll all be gone and then you'll be sitting in a studio with three dickheads Terry <laughs> <laughs> literally ran downstairs climbed over a wall and harassed the guy who was cleaning uh, cleaning the pathways and told him to uh, he wasn't stop. cleaning the pathways he was blowing leaves from one fucking car to the other I said what are you doing be the Yoda of rugby <laughs> drop this Ellen DeGeneres shit <laughs> McFadden had his go on Twitter it's dead now Welcome back to the Hard Yards. Player migration is a hot topic in rugby. Project players, the extension of the residency rule from three to five years, the apparent requirement that every professional club in France must carry at least one Georgian front row and a Fijian wing. While we often dwell on the more famous cases, usually a test level, there is a wider story to tell. It's it's much wider. Um, I'm very pleased to be joined by Alan Dimmock, whose investigation into player migration in rugby is a special report in the current issue of Rugby World magazine. Alan, welcome to the Hard Yards. Hi. Thanks, thanks for having me. Um, listen, this this feature is a cracker. Uh, South Africans playing in Romania, Islanders in Japan. I think promise and pitfalls is probably a good summary. Um, it's well worthwhile people seeking this out. What did you think you were going to find when you started this? Well, the working title I actually had in my head was um, Human Traffic because I was interested in the idea of the play, finding the players that we don't know about that find themselves in in terrible positions in places they never thought they'd end up. You hear a lot of urban myths about players that sort of disappear in the wilderness, and I think a lot of people that have played uh, a good level of club rugby um, to the UK and Ireland, uh, you know, they played with guys from the Pacific Islands, they played with guys from South Africa, from all over, and some of these guys flit in and out of clubs. You see them moving down the chains, and you sometimes find yourself wondering what happened to these guys. Of course, the idea of human traffic, I find, was quite extreme and um, in many respects a little bit far-fetched. But what I did end up finding was story after story of people that had found themselves in those difficulties that I imagined um, and try to play their way out of it, even just to make a crust. And I was very lucky to get in tour with some very good people, um, through the Pacific uh, Rugby Players Welfare Group that's uh, run by Dan Leo. You've seen a lot from Dan uh, over the last couple of months talking about um, the plight of the the Samoans. Um, And the guys from the official body that work with the International Rugby Players Association, Pacific Rugby Players, and it's important to to remember the the distinction between the two because one is an official arm that works. And starting off with these guys, they just introduced me to a number of stories and it just sort of snowballed from there, really. Yeah, and and I think we want to be straight in here that some of this involves players actually dying in various circumstances. Um, there's an extraordinary quote from uh, Ife Tokafa, who's a hooker at Dijon, and he says, I've sent too many brothers back in coffins. What was he getting at there? So, and this is a big thing um, when you speak to the foundations that, that look at Pacific player welfare. 
depression is is a is a big issue that sort of been underreported for for a few years. It's, it's something that they're seen as sort of the the hidden menace on the Pacific Islands. But as well as that, when you marry it with the number of pressures that particularly some of these guys that come across to Europe to play rugby face, some of them uh, go further down the levels uh, in Europe, and particularly France is what we are talking about in this instance here is. Sometimes the amount of money you get isn't fantastic, but there's a, there's a social pressure that these guys have. Uh, it's a cultural issue that we have uh, going back to the islands is the idea of supporting your family. So a lot of these guys will come over to Europe uh, in order to make money, to send money home. It's just it's possibly the biggest industry, or one of the biggest industries on the island is people as um, the diaspora sending money back. Of course, with these guys, not some of them not being paid very much, um, you don't have much to live off of. If you're not playing well and drop, sometimes money isn't guaranteed. Um, and if there's pressure to play from your family back home and you're not living on very much, and there's a shame attached to that, and you throw in um, the horrible spectrum of depression, it's a terrible uh, circumstance for some of these guys to be in. And I suppose the most high-profile case um, is a, a guy called Israeli Temo. Uh, who we heard about a few seasons ago, who, who took us on life. And uh, I spoke um, very briefly to a guy called Sunil Koto, who was a, a tight head prop for Fiji, who had to explain to the family back in the islands that Israeli Temel had chosen to take his own life. Can you imagine making that phone call? How brutal that must be to explain to someone that part of the world has just come away and it's on the other side of the planet and you don't know anything about it. Um, so it, that's, that's, those are the instances that we're talking about here. Uh, these guys have sent back, a, 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 there's been a few cases now uh, in Europe, and if you speak to the guys in the welfare groups, they're talking to folk all the time that are, are dealing with these problems and having to, to offer them help. And I suppose that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this, is to open people's eyes to the fact that this is going on, but also to hopefully help get the message out there that there is help there for these fellas. You know, they don't have to struggle through it alone, and that's why these guys, um, the Pacific Rugby Players Welfare Group, the Pacific Rugby Players Group, um, are, are there to help. I suppose it's just getting the message out there. One of the bigger issues, and I suppose it's how I ended the piece, is that we need to be talking more about it as well. The, the public at large needs to be aware of this, and people within rugby need to see us to start talking about it. It's all very good talking about the, the upper end. Uh, of the leagues, you know, there'll be elite leagues. Because if you're a fantastic international class player playing in these top leagues, you will. Chances are, you'll be well looked after. It's when we start going down the levels that's where we need to start looking at things. Yeah, I, I thought it was notable. It, it's really at the start, and it appears as a theme a number of times through through the feature. Um, that we probably do. It, it's easy headlines and easy airtime and easy column inches to talk about, you know, such and such as a project player. Is he a real mm-hmm. Irish international? Is he a real Scottish international or whatever? Um, but you know what? If he's in that position, he's probably doing all right. But you are, yeah. you, you've chosen to look at some of these people who just, they need a job. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's interesting that because uh, the, in part of it, I look at the, the player drain out of South Africa and uh, what's going on in South Africa is, uh, you know, it gets a lot of air time, uh, you know, you see it as a crisis. Um, uh, of course, in the piece, I speak to an agent who says that the crisis could worsen if people don't eradicate the role of, um, of dodgy agents, uh, of sort of pirate agents, if you'd like, 
that actually the agents of South Africa have had enough and they may take players, out, even more players, quality players, out of South Africa because they can make more money elsewhere around the world. And that's what it all boils down to, really, is that some of these guys just want to make a better living. Um, of course, you look at the other side of that. I spoke to uh, a current Romanian international, uh, Johan van Heerden, um, who is from South Africa. And he made an interesting point that people get on the high horse talking about residency rules, but for some people, can you imagine, like for a five-year residency rule now, there's a lot of people that are actually going to miss out on a lot of money. This folk might not want to sign them now. And it was a very simple point that was made to me, is just that this could not have a knock-on effect to people's earning potential. And we get so caught up with international rugby, but really, for a lot of these guys, test rugby is just something on the horizon that could maybe make them more money in the future. They're just trying to play and make some cash. And that is what we keep, you're right, that is something that we keep coming back to in the future. The South African example is interesting because there's a, there's a fully-fledged Tier 1 nation and they too are complaining about player drain. Uh, the I think the Grey College-Montpellier link-up is something you pointed out there. So Grey College supplied a phenomenal number of Springboks through the years and they have an agreement or a tie-up with a French club with lots and lots of money. Yeah. And, yeah, and I mean... Montpellier aren't tipped on that world well, at the moment either. You'll see uh, a, a, a gift doing the rounds in November of the phenomenal try that was scored by one of the Georgian players. Uh, but the thing that kept hitting me was every time he dived in to score this impossible try in the corner, up flashed an advertising hoarding for Altrad, the Altrad group. Lloyd Altrad obviously owns Montpellier. Recently, recently, as recently as the summer, tried to buy shares in Gloucester rugby in this country, and uh, you know it's a thinly veiled um, attempt um, to, to get the hooks in with Grey with Grey College with this, um, what you call it? Yeah, this scholarship that that's going in there. Um, it's called the Badawi Legacy Scholarship Program, and you know and that is officially an academic program, but there will be some rugby tie-ins eventually. Uh, some people find that slightly insidious. Certainly, folk I've spoken to in South Africa see that as the coils starting to, to, to wrap around South African rugby. And it's, you know, we could say that that's only the beginning, but the reality is, is that I've spoken to people in South Africa that believe that the famous Craven Weeks, for example, and Yuri Roo, the CEO of Saru, said this to me. I had an academy say to me that it's actually walking up to watch teenage boys play rugby um, in South Africa. You know, to scout them to see what their potential is, and it's been suggested that some are being tapped up even before they're 18 years old. Which actually, no one is allowed to do. You're not allowed to. You know, Saru aren't technically supposed to approach these guys um, about contracts until after they're 18. So when you've got that going on in the background, and then you've got an official scholarship opening up, and then you have agents complaining that there are pirate agents out there that are operating. You know, you, it's got to be a worry for South African rugby in the future. Not just because of where their test stars will end up. Again, we end up talking about the guys at the very top end. But actually, you've got to start worrying about where the next generation is going to end up. You know, and it's obviously this is a very nuanced issue for South Africa because the visa issues that you get with South Africa is, is, is interesting. The young people want to have the opportunity to be able to study abroad, to broaden their horizons. Some people would just love to jump at that chance. But when you pour in the rugby side of things as well, you've got to wonder 
how many of these young young talented players that could go on to be Springboks if, if given the chance to play in their own country and looked after well in the country as well. You've got to wonder where that generation will end up in three or four years' time. You also approached World Rugby for a view on the academies that some teams have set up in the islands. Um, what what did you uh, what did you get back there? Because that's certainly uh, speaking personally, that's something which does not sit comfortably with me. Well, I mean, you've got to appreciate World Rugby's be honest. They say that they're working closely with specific rugby players, um, the official union. Um, they're looking at agent accreditation uh, in the islands. It's an easy one to dance around because all you need is the permission of, uh, of a local union. When it comes to um, the way that agents operate uh, in a union, for example, that is all down to the union. That's, that's not really something that World Rugby have to look out for as a whole. Uh, what many people are saying, though, is that it needs to be policed more seriously and that any deals that are done need to be looked at quite closely because we've seen in the very recent past that whether bankrupt or not, there are specific island unions that are struggling. And if you're in a financial position where you're not going well and someone says, oh, by the way, we want to set up this thing and we'll pay for it ourselves on your island, it, I'm imagining it must be quite hard to see no to. It's certainly something that the, the player welfare groups, uh, certainly um, Pacific Rugby Players Welfare, um, the unofficial branch, um, you know, who are doing some really good work at the moment, uh, at least bringing people together. That is a serious concern of theirs, um, looking, at the, looking at the fact that Clermont, for example, have um, an academy on the island. Now, on the one hand, I've spoken to some people that say if it's handled properly, if it's aligned with the union, um, it's great because of the best will in the world. These guys cannot, at the moment, be professional players on their own island. Uh, you know, Fiji Sevens, for example, one of the best teams of any course on the planet, keep going in and out. It's like the hokey cokey with contracts for these guys. Um, so if there's a, a way where you can humanely um, treat people with respect and with the right intentions in mind, train someone to be able to go and play professional rugby somewhere else around the world and make good money, that's got to be supported. What people are wondering is, what are the true intentions of these? Because they look like it's just a way of bringing in talent to France in particular and uh, aligning the big teams, teams like Claremont, with the next big thing from the island. Um, I suppose it also comes back to the idea, of, and it's something else attached to that, is that it's something that a few agents, reputed agents, Adam Porter, from, one of the directors at CSM, uh, for example, and he's, he's got a lot of experience with the island. In fact, uh, CSM um, helped support academies on the islands as well, uh, but that are run by fellows from those islands. Uh, the idea that there needs to be a register, uh, there needs to be a promoted register of agents operating, uh, particularly in the Pacific Islands, and held up so that when a young guy that doesn't know what he's doing when he wants to travel around the world knows, okay, at least this is someone I should be speaking to because they will look after me properly. And that's the big thing. And that's, again, that's one of the things that the unions can crack down on if they're aware of it. Hmm. People need to know who they're working with. And World Rugby, in fairness, said, look, the, the, uh, they're interested in and, and, and are implementing structures to provide a pathway for locally based players. Yeah. They point out the funding of the Fijian Drua and the Australian of NRC. Course, yeah. And they make the point that they'll assist a union who actually says there is something 
going on in our nation which is detrimental to our pathway to set rugby. Uh, Pat, you wanted to come in there. Oh yeah, I was just saying, Alan, that you, you were talking about the pressures of playing there and um, I, I suppose just to think, again, we're looking at the top end a lot of the time, but guys playing through injuries and maybe feeling that pressure to play through serious injuries. Did you come across that a good bit? Um, you know, I, I, it's something in previous features I've, I've spoken to a lot about as well and it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a global issue. I, uh, I did a, a piece on uh, concussion, uh, an investigation on concussion a few years back, and I was speaking to guys in professional rugby in Russia, and there were a, a large number of these Russian teams who were on pay-to-play basis, and it added a brutal aspect to things. Um, you know, as you go further down the levels, you're right, there is that sort of pay-to-play element to it. And that, it's, it's obviously a hard one to look after and particularly when you look at it through the prism of the Pacific Islands as well when people don't even know the exact number of players that are playing in Europe when people haven't kept track of who's, who's left the islands where they've rocked up where they've gone afterwards and people start funneling down the levels that I mentioned earlier you keep, can't keep track of these guys you don't know who's playing for who you don't know who's playing on a pay to pay contact or a part time basis where they're having to work in a nightclub as security uh, uh, at the evenings and then go through training and then play the weekend and, and if that's the only way that they can send money home and they've got to strap themselves up and get on with it you're right that is, an, that is a worrying element of pressure that, you know that is a, a largely semi-professional issue and it's that's where the concern comes in in that who's really policing further down these divisions and there are semi-professional teams um, you know you look at you know, we had the one of the pull quotes we used in our piece was the struggle is real in the federal divisions. Boys really find it difficult in some instances. It's inhumane, and that I think that's what you're hitting at. Is it that? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you said, yeah, inhumane is almost a it's a, a great way to sum it all up, isn't it? Hmm. And there's there's I suppose there's always going to be a philosophical thing about people are attached to the purity of test rugby but there's, an, there's also the, the, the human right to be able to make a living and those two things have to be balanced in some way um, Alan yeah. thanks very much um, for your well, time oh, sorry, what, no, there, is, what, there is one last point I want to make yeah. uh, and it is uh, one thing as well but it, it, a lot of this sounds good and going but I did speak to a lot of people who, who have made you know who have made their lives better through playing through rugby mm-hmm. and the whole point of this investigation is not just to say this is a nightmare scenario where everything is terrible there are some people and particularly in the case of instances of people I spoke to in Eastern Europe folk have made their lives better through, through playing rugby abroad. and I suppose that that's an important thing to bear in mind when we then go on to say that it all needs to be looked at a little bit closer though because outside of the test arena there's a lot of people that need that that's very fair. Okay. Um, so that's Alan Dimmock from Rugby World magazine. I would urge you to seek out the January 2018 issue. It's well worth your time looking at that feature. Um, you won't see many mention of stars in this. It's about fairly average club players looking for a better life in a lot of cases. Um, so, Alan, thank you very much. No, thank you. Yeah. Up next, we'll be taking a look at the weekend's games and see if Pat can try and close the gap in our competition. The Hard Yards, passionate about sport. You're listening to the Hard Yards Rugby Podcast on Sports Joe. If you're a fan of the show, please leave us a ratings on iTunes. It helps other people find the podcast. We're going to preview some of the weekend's games now. Just in case some of you listening haven't heard, Pat and myself have been having a predictions competition since the start of the season. And Pat, it's fair to say it's been a rocky road. 
there's been some highs and lows. I was hoping that we could get, um, yeah, it, it looked good last week. I think it was, it was four from five, and then I just couldn't good close week last week. Couldn't yeah. close it out though. Yeah, yeah. Could so four three to you last week. Scraped another point back. Keep that scoreboard picking out, <laughs> ticking over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Listen, we'll tear straight in. Munster versus Leicester. Munster are seven point favourites at home. Um, I'll I will go first for mm-hmm. all of these. Uh, Munster. I'm taking Munster on this. Feeling in my bones. That's all. Yeah, um, yeah, seven points. It's, yeah, I'll go with that as well. Okay. So, both for Munster this week. Harlequins are four point favourites at home versus Ulster. Uh, this is a funny one. I don't have a solid feeling on this game at mm. all. Uh, I'm going to go with Harlequins, but I'm not sure I like it. Uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think this could be. Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll go Ulster just to spice up my weekend <laughs> <laughs> and lastly Exeter versus Leinster Exeter two point favourites at home uh, I'm going I'm going Exeter on this they're flying and Leinster are playing some good stuff as well but I'm going Exeter yeah I, I, I thought you might go Exeter because I'm going Exeter as well so that's why I, I, I spice things up there with the, the, with the Ulster one um, yeah I can see um, there's talk about yeah Leinster want to get out of there but get, get a Get close, but I think Exeter are going to do it. They're in great form since the start of the season. They really are, yeah. So, look, mm. of, of the three games, um, where do you reckon, like, obviously, points aside, where do you reckon the big things to look out for are, are here this weekend? Um, well, it'll just be, like, Munster, I just have a load of injuries. Like, so just kind of if they can, um, yeah, just, just, I suppose, Get any type of win possible, as you said. Just mm. win your home games. Don't I don't think they'd be looking for bonus point wins or anything like that. They're so both they tied at the top of the group, six points, mm. uh, and then Rassinger behind in five, and and Castor aren't out of it. They got three, so like that's a tight pool. Yeah, yeah. And then the the Ulster one, they're conceding and scoring a hoop load of of tries as well. So that might just be an interesting one to watch because Harlequins aren't locked you know they're not watertight either so that should be could be an interesting game hopefully it's a high scoring game yeah I mean a win for Ulster there really transforms how that pool looks uh, mm-hmm. because the, their third you know obviously uh, La Rochelle are flying um, but that would transform their season yeah and they, uh, I know they're not going to play it from for next season but the the fact that they have Moore and, and Murphy it looks like they're at least building towards something so hopefully that's picked mm-hmm. them up a little bit and um yeah, they they kind of they get the job done and still have the likes of Stockdale and Henderson and stuff to call on as well. So yeah, and um, I suppose before we we won't go away without mentioning Connacht. Um, there is no line that I could find for this, uh, so we won't be doing a prediction on it. But they're a way to breathe. I just want to note um, Kieran Keane's comments after the last Zebra. I'm disappointed. It's a bit of a head scratcher that one. Uh, everything broke down on us. He's done this a couple of times this year. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's that's not something we see that often. Yeah, it's funny because yeah, he was talking about uh, the dressing room being quiet and stuff like that, yeah. and, and no one stepping up, and he's worried about that as well. It's such a strange because I was saying Connick knew what they were hiring when they got him in, you know, because they would have interviewed the lad like, and yeah. but completely different from Pat Lamb. Like Pat Lamb's a motivator, or this guy seems to be, you know, the, the hard taskmaster. So, um, you know, great copy, you know, like <laughs> it probably sounds great as well. But um, some of the players can't be too happy hearing this kind of stuff every second week. Hmm. Okay, so heading into the weekend, uh, Saris are still even after losing. I think they've a five, five in, in a row, row now. Mm-hmm. Now that includes the Anglo Welsh, which is a well, it's kind of rugby. Yeah, um, fifteen to eight favourites for the title. Leinster four to one, uh, Toulon seven to one, and Exeter nine to one. 
Um, of context, uh, Munster fourteen to one, and I think Leinster, uh, Ulster around thirty three to one or around then. That seems fair. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see how the weekend unfolds. Up next, we have listener questions with Kevin Fla. Murder, she wrote, is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You can watch the start, fall off for 40 minutes, come back, see the end, perfect. You know what I mean? You've missed nothing, really. Remember, Rod, Kev in the Kalina used to have to bring two TVs into the room, one for you for Cheltenham. <laughs> like every red-blooded male in the country, he'd be watching the horse racing, whereas I'd have a TV for myself for things like Murder, She Wrote and Houses Under the Hammer. Murder, She Wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day. Kev and Flair are back to answer your fan questions. We put a call out yesterday and these are the best ones we got in. Use the hashtag AskTHY on Twitter if you want to ask a question to next week's panel. First one. This is directed your way, Jerry, from Mark McMahon. Uh, Jerry Flannery had some of the best darts in the game. Who does Jerry see as Ireland's next up-and-coming long-time hooker after Rory Best hangs up his boots? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think probably prior to prior to this November series, you would have thought that you know. I suppose the guys who were in the mix were probably Rob Herring up in Ulster, Sean Cronin. I think is 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 still there and thereabouts. James Tracy and and Niall Scannell. Uh, I'm not sure if I missed him there, but at the at the moment, I'd say that there's the guy. There are guys who'd be in the mix. Uh, Niall Scannell obviously missed the November internationals. Looking at them, I think Niall Scannell is a very, very strong scrimmager. I think, I think they're they're a fan of his in national camp, and he, he's done well. Uh, Rob Herring, really, really well-rounded player. Um, and then I suppose <coughs> James Tracy, uh, you know, they're, they're a fan of his scrummaging as well, and he's a converted prop. And, and I think that Joe Schmidt probably has time, has a, a lot of time for him because he would have been involved in him, as, as I understand it. You know, making the move from from prop to hooker. Um, Sean Cronin then is 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 always going to be there because of what he can do around the field. I think the the thing for these guys is that Rob Rob is competing, Rob Herring is competing with Rory at the moment, um, just just for 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 game time at, at Ulster. Sean Cronin is competing with James Tracy and I suppose Ricard Strauss and uh, one of the Byrne brothers as well, and then. Niall Scannell is competing with, with 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 the lads we have down below here when he's fit. So I think it's the guy who actually nails down the the, the, the provincial jersey is the guy who's really going to push himself forward. I think uh, I think it's 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 really going to be whoever nails their provincial jersey is the guy who's going to start, start pushing in then and, and 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 take over from Rory eventually. Now, something that Mark also sent over was a YouTube video of um, you pulling a beanie over your eyes looking at the camera and then throwing a line-out ball into a dustbin from about 20 yards. Uh, do you remember that, do you? I do, yeah, yeah. It was after the 2011... Well, it wasn't after the 2011 World Cup. It was after I got injured at the 2011 World Cup. I flew back and I was training with some of the, the cripples in Munster, all the lads who were long-term injured, and uh, we were just trying to do trick shots and mess around with the balls and stuff like that. So Yeah, it was good. Good skills. Very impressed. Uh, right, next uh, question. Um, Kev, this is from Carl Madonahu. Uh What is the fewest amount of points that Munster and Leinster will see as acceptable from the back-to-backs? I think 
<clears throat> what we as players used to always be told by the coaches was two wins was the only thing that was acceptable but I think in the back of their heads it'd be five points as a minimum hmm. I think if, if Leinster get five points against Exeter they're in the driving seat in the group I think Munster are in a similar enough position as well in that it's very close I think, I think there's, they're, there's they're a level t- on points it's a much tighter group Leicester. The, the, the dynamic is different in that group yeah I think probably um, five, Munster will be looking for or probably need maybe slightly more than five points to, to get nudge ahead of Leicester hmm. um, it's slightly tighter in that whereas Leinster have a kind of two point advantage over Exeter at the moment but like you're thinking a, a minimum of a point away from home. You don't get a point away from home when you're under pressure. Um, and then you just have to win your home game. You have to win your home game. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's it. There's no other There's no other answer. And you're you're thinking, right, Like we'll, we have a great chance of winning from away from home, but minimum, minimum a point. Okay, so five, five points acceptable, even though you mightn't say that to the players at the time. Six points, yeah, something's gone right here in one of the games. You know, and yeah. then more than that, you're you're more than that, you're flying. You're done. Okay, excellent. Right, I think that's it for this. Hold on, oh, Pat, Pat. I have my hand up. It's not it's not a Twitter question, but Jerry I was just wondering how um, how you guys have been happy with uh, Chris Clote since he's, he started playing. He's he's looked great in his first couple of games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris is Chris is settling really, really well. Um, he's he's one hundred percent a specialist open side, and um, we were really fortunate that as Chris came in. Tommy O'Donnell picked up uh, picked up an injury up in up in national camp with his AC, which would have left us a little bit thin there. And, and Chris came in and, and he's had a big impact. And uh, he's he's a he's a clever player in terms of I think if you saw his try there at the weekend mm. when he he was tackled, he released the ball, got up, and then picked it up again and went in and scored. He's um, he's 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 short, but he's very very powerful. Um, and he, he's he's slotted in well here. It's it's. It's going to be, you know. I think he's 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 a good addition to the squad, and you know he, he gives us he gives us something different at the moment. Particularly since we lost Conor Oliver at the start of the year, who was a young open side that had played fantastically well for us last year, and we were looking forward. You know, he he was he was tearing up in, in pre-season. We lost um, losing Conor. He, he injured his shoulder in pre-season, and. Um, that would have left us thin in terms of cover at seven. So Chris came in, and luckily, as Chris came in, or unlucky for Tommy, but lucky for us that Chris was able to step in then when when Tommy was injured. You have to uh, find the jersey to fit the man as well. Uh, I'd say whatever jersey we find, he's going to just try and get it tapered in to make it look bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, save it. Small man syndrome. I know. I know. I know a lot about it myself. <laughs> Right, so yeah, I mean, speaking of Munster, uh, there's actually a huge number of injuries down there. Vlad, do you think that's yeah. something that people actually realise? Um, yeah, well, look, injuries are part of the game, and and you generally you just have to accept them. It can be tough, but you know that's that, that's that's rugby, and people are going to get injured, and that's why you have a squad, and you've got people got to step up, and that that's the challenge of that's why the season is such a marathon here because you're gonna you're gonna lose players, but the opportunities then that, that that arise then for young players to step up and you know when they perform it's great you, it's like getting you know shit I have an extra player now next time I want to go and pick the team but that's, that's a, yeah sometimes it's like um, people are kind of we were actually speaking to Andrew Trimble last week and it's kind of like 
sometimes it's a commentary like Trimble might say that he's in bad form at the moment like that but it's also just sometimes it's just the opinion of a guy who's just commentating on a game and that's you've seen sometimes with George Hook people take that as their opinion but I saw recently there um, like Alan Quinlan was kind of talking given he was a little bit critical I'd say of that Zebra game of, of how, how Munster got on and how they handled it but then you know we saw that Zebra team went out and beat Connick last week as well does that kind of stuff get back to you Jerry? Um, look, if you're playing, if you're if you're if you're playing a sport if, as a player, criticism is going to come, and you you just like you take it from the right people in terms of your coaches are going to try and give you constructive criticism to try and make you a better player. And as a player, then you just what what you want from that is that you want to make sure that the player that the coach is gone and he's put work in, that he's done the analysis and that he's thought about this and that he's put work into it before he passes on this stuff to you and, and players with a growth mindset will take it on board and that's how to become better players um, for me as a coach I, I know that, that there's going to be criticism leveled against the team uh, and th- that's it because you, you rarely ever play a perfect game so you've got to be able to take that I suppose in terms of uh, when some like I suppose when people hear someone like like, like, like Alan Quinlan coming out and criticising how we're going I suppose if I, if I look at it like Alan Quinlan played some great games for Munster and people will take on board that if, if Alan Quinlan is speaking in Munster they'd say well most people watch a game to be entertained and they expect the the, the co-coms the guy who's doing the, the commentary with them to, to provide analysis but I don't think that just having played for Munster gives you any kind of insight you actually have to prepare for the games and when when I don't feel like that people are actually properly prepared for the game and they're doing it last minute you have to look at it from the point of view is that like we spent an awful lot of time preparing and working hard with a lot of young players who were, who were playing in that match we were missing two international loose heads an international hooker an international tight head missing Herbrand Grobler and Dave O'Callaghan missing Peter Manny Lions captain missing Tommy Donald international seven CJ Stander, Lions number eight, Connor Murray, Lions nine, Ian Keatley, Irish ten, Tyler Blaindal, Andy Conway, another Irish international, Yaku Tout, Springbok International, Chris Farrell, Irish international at 13, Dan Goggin missing as well, another good young player. We're missing this amount of players, and you have to look at things in context. Like when he looked at the game, I don't know whether he'd done any preparation for it. Uh, I don't think he had. It didn't seem like he had, because when, when, when people relayed the comments back to me, I just thought, this doesn't make sense. And I suppose the people who watch it and they say, well, Alan Quinlan must know what's going on in Munster because he played with them. But Alan Quinlan has absolutely no idea what goes on in Munster. Nothing. He hasn't got an iota of what we do in here. And I think that I understand that people will come out and they, and they give their opinion, but their opinion should be based on something. If it's not based on preparation, well, then they're actually not doing their job and they shouldn't be getting paid for that, in my opinion. Like, if I don't do my work as a coach, you know, I'm going to get sacked. And I can still get sacked even if I do my work, if results don't go my way and, and if I can't get my message across to the players or if I'm giving the wrong message. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. I just think that there should be a level of accountability as well for other people who are out there. Like, if, if for instance, that Sky think it's, it's deemed credible that if someone has just played for, played for a, a, a club that they can just go out and just give their opinion without actually doing any work well, they're, they're kind of cheating the viewers because people are, people are paying for a subscription to watch it they want to get some sort of analysis or if they're not getting that then you know there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a breakdown there well, in fairness to well, look, I, I, like, I, I, Quinny, Quinny was very good on Ireland for the family. You know, he's, he's good at that stuff. But. <laughs> I look in, in fairness. Um, look, I think you've got something off your chest there, Fla. Uh, 
In fairness to Quinny, he's not here. And I will say that I think we have to assume that he does do his homework and maybe there's a difference in, in perspective. Uh, I think you're saying that there was lacking some context with all those players out. Um, maybe we'll put out see if Quinny will do a special hard yards appearance, what do you reckon? No, look, I, 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 you're, you're right, you're right. I'm not trying to... It was more that Alan said himself that he came in last minute for the Zebra game when it was put to him because there was something happened with Yoyan Evans. Yoyan Evans couldn't do it, so he came in last minute and I think Quinny should have the empathy should be able to empathise with the players and know when there's when there's lads there who've worked that hard that you at least have to do either temper temper your comments and you look at it in context and say well, geez, this is a Zebra team that, that went and beat Ulster at home they actually I, they went and beat Connacht the week after mm-hmm. after we point five point after after we scored five four tries plus on them um, so you just look at it in context and it's look. Sometimes it can be irritating when guys that were part of the club are doing that, you know. But I don't know whether they see it as kind of like a kind of an attachment to their time with the club, and they don't want to see the club move forward because then they're not held in the same standing that they might have been if the club is moving forward. But that's that's a really it's it's quite a you know it's quite a, it's a poor mindset to have, from my opinion. I look forward to joining you two next week soon for a pint and we'll see how all this goes. That's a good idea, yeah. <laughs> it is a good idea. The Hard Yards on tour. Right, we'll leave uh, Yeah, we'll leave it there. Right, thanks to Kev, to Jerry Pat and Alan Dimmick. Paul Donegan was on sound. We'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. I'm Andy McGeady. This has been The Hard Yards. Thanks for listening and we will talk to you next week. The Hard Yards. Passionate about sport. 